you know, funny women don't get the blokes. That was always the sort yeah. of, you know, able to be <laughs> Me and Buckers are just nodding vigorously, both thinking to ourselves, yes, I'm extremely funny. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly it. Like, I am I'm just, like, I'm just so hilarious. And that must be why. <laughs> that, yeah. That's why George Clooney <laughs> went for a mile and not for me, because I'm just too funny. Hello, welcome to the Real Work Podcast with me, Fleur Emery. Unedited conversations with women who are changing up the world of work. Extraordinary women who are founders, thought leaders or trailblazers. Here to inspire and inform your idea of what's possible for you. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Real Work Podcast, which we hoped would coincide with Trans Visibility Day, but um, we didn't quite get there, so it's a little bit late. The episode features a sort of a quite a long conversation with an old friend of mine. Um, she's a trans woman, her identity is protected, which enabled her to give a really frank and open account of her career working in corporate marketing, both pre-transition and post-transition and what that looked like. So she has a really unusual view of um, what it's like to be inside big sexist companies, really. And um, it also is the story of a friendship, like her friendship with me and what it was like when she tran transitioned and it's it's quite uncomfortable in places but I think it's an important conversation to have I'm grateful that she had it it's so valuable to get her insights into the world of um w the world of work pre and post transition and often the voices the trans voices that we hear are the are voices of people who work to forward human rights in this area or their campaigners or activists. And this is just, you know, a regular woman talking about her working experience. She's not an expert on trans rights, nor am I, of course. It's just a conversation between two friends. And I hope that you enjoy the insights. I really, really enjoyed having her as my guest. So, Buckers, how do I now... Oh, it's quite a heavy introduction, and now I have to say like and subscribe. <laughs> Is that how it goes? <laughs> like and subscribe. Is that what I can't well, do? Yeah, that, you surely could, you can could I? sing it. That would definitely not undermine the, <laughs> the strength of what you've just said at all. So go forth and do your own little jingle if you like. So apparently, unless you like and the reason we have to ask you to do that is that unless you like and subscribe to this podcast, other people don't get to listen to it. There, I've said it. I've said it. I care. I want you to subscribe. I'll notice if you if you review it. Thank you. Enjoy the episode. So, last um, last week's episode that we recorded, there was a lot of sex chat, wasn't there? It was there about was. condoms, and Buck has kept embarrassing me by being so spontaneous with talking about describing all kinds of things that the younger generation do. So um, I'm happy that that one's in the bag and we don't have to revisit that and we can go back to talking about our careers. Yeah. Which is um, the kind of mood of the podcast, just to sort of frame it, is um, 
it's about women's work in a way. It's about women finding, you know, dealing with the world of work as it is and finding solutions and workarounds to sort of make careers that they've enjoyed. Um, tell us about the work you're doing at the moment. So, yeah, my day job is I'm in marketing. I have been well, for 20-something years now. So I, I guess my day job is around really selling stuff and that's what I do for a living so it's um you know it's not changed a huge amount I mean there's a there's been a big emphasis on digital in the last 10 years but it's you know I mean that that is really just a another term for reaching audiences in a different way um so I think that marketing as a as a career probably will change in the next 10 to 15 years because technically most of the people that are in it are now um technicians they're becoming more like you know people that understand algorithms as opposed to people that understand selling stuff so it has changed in that way but the job i do is not dissimilar to the one i did 20 odd years ago um and it's essentially you know if anyone doesn't really get what marketeers do, we normally make the adverts. We brief creative agencies and media agencies, and we, you know, we we're responsible for the whatever it is, the product revenue and return. So we're essentially our bottom line is, you know, how much money do we make for the company versus what we spend. So I've been doing that for a long time, and it's I think it's um it's a relatively rewarding career when you work for a brand which means something um but i have done both i've worked for yeah you've both right you've worked for some which different kinds of companies and some you liked and some you really didn't like yes yes i i didn't i didn't like most of them actually oh <laughs> no i'm joking i think um i've liked companies like um the which was quite entrepreneurial quite exciting you know had a had kind of like a real fresh attitude. And, and in actual fact, back in 2014, we didn't have offices. We, we kind of voted that we would work remotely and we'd work from different gyms and stuff. So actually I'd had a sample of what we're all doing now um, a bit then of having that kind of flexible working culture, which was quite exciting. And then, yeah, I worked for which was horrific. <laughs> we'll get back to that in a minute. When you say, um, when you work for the you had flexible working on location. I just imagine you in a Jane Fonda sweatband <laughs> on the on the um, on the machine, yeah, you know, the, on the sense. on the stairmaster, going at it like the yeah. You'd do that if you had free free access to gyms all day, wouldn't you, Buckers? Absolutely. You'd have thighs like Sharapova by payday. Leotards ahoy. <laughs> Yes, I did enjoy it. But yeah, we did work from the gym, so we, and that meant that we were close to the customers as well. So we were actually able to see. That's the interesting thing you see about, you know, if you actually do work in a product like a gym, by doing that, by kind of rolling around the country, which I loved doing because it meant I was exposed to lots of different people and accents and things, then I was able to get a better idea of how business functions on the ground, which I think a lot of, you know, office-based people are often removed from you know you might work for coca-cola but you probably aren't anything to do with drinking coca-cola um so it's yeah that's that was my experience of remote working back in the earlier part of the last decade and what were the groans about the news company um well i mean i worked for news so that was it was i mean it was just it wasn't a very it was a particularly misogynistic environment then i mean the editors ruled 
the world and I was transitioning at the time so it was really bad and I remember lying about everything you know kind of I felt if I told them anything about the fact that I was starting a process that they would well they would have fired me which they technically did in the end anyway but then they kind of fired everyone really so I don't think that was particularly personal they just you know that was the thing there you just got moved on um once something had gone wrong I mean it was just how it worked but it was a particularly unpleasant culture um I think the other the other moans about it for me human position was it was as I say incredibly misogynistic but also really um you know, you're dealing with negatives all the time. I remember walking past someone's PC, one of the girls in marketing, she had pictures of, what was his name, Ashley Cole, naked. I'm thinking, why have you got pictures of Ashley Cole? And she'd gotten them from the press department, so they just slung these images, you know, which were going to be in the paper the next day. And uh, I remember thinking, God, we really are trading rubbish here. So that was quite unsatisfying. You've... um. I wonder if you noticed producer Buckers, but she's taking the wind out of my sails then. One of the reasons that um, we were gonna we're gonna talk today Sorry. is that it's all right. You dropped a bomb. <laughs> you dropped a bomb, you dropped a bomb. That um her, your working life has kind of been divided down the middle of you working as a businesswoman and a business businessman. Mm, yes, it has. But I didn't realise that that happened when you were at the... Isn't that... Out of all the places you've worked, that's probably... That's the bad timing to be... Because I'm interested in... When you say it's misogynistic, what what that means on the ground. So I've never worked in those kind of companies. What does that... So the Ashley Cole thing's a good example. That, that was normal. Behaviour like that, like having a naked guy from some picture that's been snooped on that's com- they're completely relaxed to have that that's normal what other what other kind of things are normal in an environment like that i was quite close friends with one of the girls in marketing who was working purely on what's called not work and so did all the stories you know john terry cheryl Co- i mean it was really the beginning of the what we see now as the advanced celebrity culture but that's sort of big brother time around then um and she um she often she was once asked if she was on the rag in a meeting you know by an editor having a period yeah Yeah. so you know in that kind of conversation um I remember we had a there was a gay marketing an out gay marketing guy and he got you know I mean I wouldn't even comment on what they said about him but I think the problem was it was it was acceptable in that kind of horrible jovial Way, take a joke, think, take a joke, that thing. Yes, mm. which we all had to put up with in those days anyway, if you weren't kind of actually a straight white bloke, I think. That, I mean, I, I don't think we all is a catch-all, but certainly media up until then hadn't been any better. And it was just a bit more kind of base. Um, I worked for CNN and, you know, lots of companies before when I was quite young. And they, you know, I mean, I... I remember coming out at one of these places and, and then it was open season to, you know, for them to kind of just make jokes that I was expected to take in good cheer. Um, and I didn't question it, but then it was also acceptable to make those kind of misogynistic, nasty comments about periods, about women, about women's abilities. That was, that was I mean, that was endemic in culture. I mean, up until not that long ago, really, yeah. kind of the epicenter of that. But 
these other companies, you ask anyone who was working in media in the 90s, that, that kind of what it was, it was all about what you what I think they call banter these days. Bants. Bants, yes. <laughs> with a Z, isn't it? Buckers? Bants. Bants um, with a Z? You could put a Z on it. <laughs> she's, um, Buckers plays the role of our kind of, um, she's my bridge to the youth of today. Because I'm now um, chugging towards 50. So um, Buckers is the kind of um, the attache, the interpreter, who interprets the youth speak. Um, well, I don't know about that. that. She, you did. You explained to me what um, what was the other one? You Nasty girl. Yeah. La- Nasty on, girl. Um, on one of our previous episodes, we yeah. talked about a, a popular fashion outlet. Nasty gal. <laughs> no, nasty gal. Okay, yeah, not nasty it- girl took Fleur a while to get to grips with that. <laughs> if it was from Somerset, it might be nasty girl. <laughs> <laughs> Come in, you nasty girl. <laughs> the, um, yeah, we've got, we've, uh, we've gone off at a tangent already. So um, what's interesting about that, approaching that period of your life, when you're approaching making such a big personal change, how did that feel hearing, seeing all that stuff from the outside? Doesn't, isn't that make, did it make it frightening to, to, to start those changes when you were getting the message from all around you that you were in for, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yes, it did. But it, but it's an inevitable something that i mean if it's a real thing if it's something that has to be done for one's state you know, peace of mind survival then uh, i guess it's it it didn't matter i mean it, it didn't it didn't matter to some degree the other riding factor is cash you know they did pay well and i needed money to do this stuff so there was a kind of a little satisfaction at the end of it thinking that these people have paid for some of this stuff that they heartily disagree with you know that was kind of a triumphant part for me but yeah I mean but but then having my strategy for transition within work and media was to get as much cash as I could to do everything privately that was a big you know because if you look at what's available on the NHS it's two years of dressing it's from I think it's a 1960s psychologist yeah you have to pass don't you know well, invariably, you don't. Oh, yeah, you, you won't because, yeah, you haven't made any f- physical alterations. You just... Yeah, so they ask you to... I suppose, to live as a woman. Trans, well, to transvesticize your life mm. in terms of, the you know, the real kind of basics of that being to dress in the what was considered the opposite sex as clothes for two years. And I wasn't having any part in that. That was like, well, that's just a that's an invitation for a kicking, really. It's the fastest way to get beaten up in South London. And it so is still. If you mm. look at statistics, I think something like, um, as opposed to, I think it's 34% of, of LGB people have experienced violent crime. It's something like 76% of trans people. And it's probably because of that, because before you're able to make physiological hormonal changes, those are some of the benchmarks that are in place, which technically, you know, really, I mean, especially going back for years, they're really hard to help people to understand. But the other thing was that I noted was that this wasn't a one-sided thing. You know, with the gay thing or with being gay, 
very often it was majoritatively men that had a problem with it. Whereas with the trans thing, it was ubiquitous. You know, it was about kind of women didn't like it, men didn't like it, nobody liked it. So my kind of take on it was just, you know, balls to this. I'm going to do, I'm going to do what I've got to do to live the life that I want to live. Um, and or the other thing is to stop living. And that's not an option, you know. It becomes binary at that point becomes binary yeah and i think also and, and also the other thing is at that age because i was quite young i just thought I'll, you know i'll make my own future i'll do my own thing so it did actually bring a spirit of entrepreneurialism because you know if you're going to take on a journey like that from a pure marketing change position that's like the biggest brand rebrand i've ever done so <laughs> <laughs> it's, so like, if i can do this i can do anything um so i wasn't so worried and i you know, I considered all the options of you know, working in the sex industry, doing all that kind of stuff that people do do to make quick money. But I was lucky in that I had progressed very well in a career and I was able to put cash behind me quite quickly um, in order to not live that kind of horrible, you know, sort of in-between yeah. period where things could happen to me. But I, So I suppose what I'm talking about is a spirit of protection that, that came about. It shows quite a lot of foresight and and understanding of the issues around you. But bearing in mind that at that point you would have been under considerable mental pressure and anguish and those kind kind of things as you were acknowledging, you know, that difficult reality in yourself that, you know, you had to, for your own survival, you had to make this change. That's a lot of stress. And you were mm. able to think very clearly about, right, if I'm going to get to the other side, what's the most efficient way of doing that? You had a strategy. Yes, yes. My mum said something really clever, which I, I held on to actually while I was having surgery, which was, you know, when you're giving birth, it, it's horrific. And um, she said, however, the all of that doesn't really pale into anything because of the outcome. You know, at the end, you have this life, a child and what you wanted. So I, you know, it's slightly different, but it, it did actually really help me to realize that um, the excitement of understanding what it would be like to live as I was meant to, as opposed to this kind of unfortunate set of characteristics that I never really gelled with and I couldn't really understand. And I had essentially been living in a mimicry of other people, you know, mimicking what they did to, to sort of fit in, which unfortunately I'm very, very good at. Um, so I was always able to fit into society and, and live the life I was meant to. Um, but the idea of not having to do that was a compelling force, you know. And then, and then of course, like, I'm assuming, I've never had a child, but if you give birth, you kind of know it's going to be a horrible, painful process. But again, that's not the end game. The end game is what comes after that. And that's years, for me, many years now of living, feeling right in my physical self, which I think has helped everything. And particularly is incredibly valuable in the workplace. The sense, the resourcefulness that you feel inside yourself because of having parented yourself through that change. Yeah, but also understanding. I mean, just understanding human beings. So, I mean, we we, we sort of talked briefly before, I think, uh, on the phone once about the differences um, 
So, you know, on one side, yes. So I was conditioned in the way that most male children are in, in this country and that were through the 70s, 80s, 90s. So I grew up with that conditioning and and the sense of entitlement that men are given um, that women don't have. What did it feel like? Well, it, it didn't feel wrong because it just felt like it like it was. But when it when it was know, taken think, away, when you became a woman, did you notice what you'd lost? Yes, and I fought against it for quite a long time, which meant that I was often called a bitch or I was called, you know, difficult or uh, that word aggressive is often thrown at women. I think is one of the most horrible ones because, you know, because essentially, um, I, you know, just by the, well, I mean, I've met many women who are able to do this, but not that many in the great scheme of things. You know, that sense of being able to vocalise something in a way which doesn't sound like you're speaking up, mainly because if you consider my voice, you know, my voice is a lot softer than it was. So I can't say things as easily. So when I want to project, I have to become quite animated. And that is often mistaken for, oh, what's wrong with her? You know, she's, she's being, you know, feisty. <laughs> I hate that word, feisty. But, you know, whereas before I would have been called determined, you know, getting on with it, getting things done. Now I'm feisty or even bordering on difficult. Now she's being difficult. She's very difficult. You know, um, and I think it's that I noticed, and I railed against it for probably a couple of years, and um, and that just goes inwards, you know, that sort of loss of power. That's really what it is. It's a loss of power, not real power, because I think that comes from within, but it's a loss of the ease of being able to walk into a room, command the space, tell people what to do, walk out, and be seen as a hero as opposed to tottering into a room, having to think about how you sit, having to think about how you stand, having to think about what you're wearing, having other women and men comment on what your hair looks like, your clothes look like, your shoes look like, and then starting to do your job, and then having to deal with all the other things, you know, in life. Um, so I think that the, the odds are stacked in that way against women succeeding, because essentially there's just all this stuff you've got to do before you even... Um, make your make your kind of you know commentary. Um, so I think yes, loss of power has been the biggest grieving that I've done, and then of course become angry because I think well, why am I grieving this? This should be mine by rights as well. It's um, it's a horrible that's thing the, to have to. And and that's your fem your new feminism. I guess so. I mean, I I I think also there's something to be said for men who aren't like that. You know, because I'm sort of putting it out there that all men take advantage of this benign power that they've been given. And I don't think they do. You know, I, I think about some of the guys who are more, who I worked with, who, who weren't as good an actor as I, who didn't get as far either. So it's not just about that sort of, and also people of colour, you know, I mean. Th yeah, yeah, that's that. intersection thing is, because as, as you were talking about those sort of um, set, those tropes of, you know, that um, feisty, woman you know the feisty blonde you know that there's yes. a if you're the the angry black woman if you're in that Absolutely. situation and you're black woman, and that people reach for that sooner if the black woman is perceived to be less attractive so if or, or manage so and also like you know when you said oh, i hate being called that i don't get called feisty but in um my 20s when i was overweight um i would get called bubbly because i had a lot of personality 
and was plump. Yeah. And those two things were deemed to be sort of incongruous. How do you get to be so confident if you're plus size? So there's those yeah. things that people reach for depending on what, what they see as well to keep you in, yeah. keep you in a box. Yeah, so I think like a lot of trans women, I, I reached for the things that, you know, you two probably reached for when you were in your teens, which is the kind of the the, the, the play stuff. And I'm not saying all trans women do this, but I did. And, and if you look at the women in my family, they also did this. And to some degree... Dressing up. Dressing up. So we are a family of people. My, my heritage is in looking good and feeling good and that kind of quite materialistic 1980s thing. Massive hair good. is what we're talking about, Buckers. Volume, and, volume. And, <laughs> One of those hairdress, those um, hair dryers with that massive kind of funnel on the end. Oh, that the diffuser. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but I did that in the hope that that would make me kind of, you know, Powerful, more... would get you some of that power back. Yes, mm. and, and also realise that, you know, that, God, this was the thing that used to get me when I used to talk to girlfriends when I was younger about, you know, they'd be complaining about how women were represented. And I said, oh, I know, it's not that bad. And then realising that I'd actually covertly, without even knowing it, bought into that narrative myself. So I then thought, oh, my God, my bum's not right. My, I need to have this done. And then starting to go off on <laughs> surgery holidays and come back and not be able to sit down in the office. And they'd be like, what's wrong with you? Like, oh, I've got a problem with my back. <laughs> so I started this whole process of having, you know, really kind of, getting into my physicality to make it acceptable because I began to trade on the same currency I traded on before really which was image and my look and whether that would make me better. Well you didn't have a run-up did you so if you um, grow up identifying um, as a girl and in a body of a girl you have time when your boobs just don't come overnight they sort of come well sometimes yeah. one before the other which is quite <laughs> difficult but so they they emerge over a period of time you get some kind of a a warning and you get used to it and you you know you that was that process was accelerated for you so it's like learning mm -hmm. to just drive a different car yes that's and and as well and learning to drive a kind of a ferrari because as you say you went hell for leather you didn't beat around the bush you um you went full va va boom and um then it probably you attracted a lot of attention yes and 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 having to then feel that the you know, was, yeah yeah and which was which was a newism for me and i guess so green you know i i was in so much trouble so quickly because i worked for a scandinavian gaming company and one of the guys I thought was gay. I honestly, you know, this is the cluelessness of just not realizing the, not being aware perhaps of the undertones that go on in male, female into yeah. office relationships was, you know, um, you know, he said, Oh, I'll show you around. Cause I just moved. I'll show you around the area. And I was, Oh, that's really kind. I thought he was gay. I mean, a lot of Scandinavian guys do look gay because they've got this lovely hair. And so, so I thought it was great. Anyway, he ended up coming around and it, it clearly wasn't. And, and I didn't really see the impact of that until everyone at the office was talking about it. And then, and then I kind of, I suppose technically I lost my job because I had inadvertently started a relationship with someone who was subordinate to me in my office. You know, it was, it was a bad thing to do. And although, and it's not professional, but then when I was hauled over the coal strip by the board, I mean, half of them were doing it as well. And I remember thinking, well, this is a double standard, isn't it? I mean, I, you can do it, but I can't. What's that about? And I guess 
at that point, this was quite early on, a lot of that kind of messaging that I thought wouldn't apply to me because I would do it differently. Just, you know, and in a way it was the best news of all because it meant I was a woman. I was just like every other woman being treated in the same way. But at the same time, isn't that a real, you know, isn't that a real booby prize in terms of just not being able to have the same rights as everybody else in the workplace um, because of your gender? Is Do you feel like... um that's that slip of um um that encounter happening when you sort of let your guard down did your guard go down because you were still um experiencing the entitlement of being a man um no i think my guard went down because i was um desperate for attention oh yeah I wanted someone to be kind and and that to me looked like this kind of you know this that was the trade offer that i got used to the the catcalls, the, the, you know, all the kind of sexual catcalls from lorry drivers. And I'd gotten used to being visible. This is something else I think is really interesting about male to female transition, which isn't necessarily work related, but this concept of visibility as a woman, I am visible, you know, not in a, not, not always in a positive way. In fact, majoritatively in a negative way. And I'm being judged more on how I look. Assessed, yeah. You're being scrutinized. But also, I don't know who's following me down the street. And I remember coming very soon after I transitioned. I, you know, I, I did. I suppose I did reveal myself more at that time. But I was coming down the stairs um, at Liverpool Street Station, and the man in front of me turned round on the escalator and said, "Did you know the man behind you was taking pictures of your boobs over your head?" And just being like, "What? <laughs> Why would you do such a thing?" And then realizing that I was. Um, uh, to be viewed, you know, this, which is, I guess, goes back yeah. to so much art, you know, I am being viewed, not, I'm not, I'm no longer able to walk out the door and be completely anonymous, really. Um, and that was terrifying. That was really terrifying, because then I became obsessed with everything. How do I look? Is my makeup right? How do I pass? Do they all know? Am I, am I a walking joke already? You know, what? And then, of course, the horror of people being told or I had a situation where someone else told somebody and and then suddenly the attitudes changed towards me in the office from men. Someone outed you as a trans woman at yeah. work. Yes. Why did they do that? Because they were spiteful. Hmm. They were being unkind. Lobbing a grenade in, into your cubicle. Which is a genie that can't be put in the back in the box, mm. which is actually the words of the HR director who saw me off the premises later on which was, you know, once you know that, you can't not know that one. Okay, but there's absolutely, it has no bearing on my career that that's happened. It has no bearing. There's no lie being told. It's literally an irrelevance. If I was just a, a you know, a grey blob and everyone else was a grey blob, it wouldn't affect how I did my job. Um, and I hadn't experienced that kind of prejudice before, even even from the gay angle, that, that, that you know, there were jibes, but there was never this kind of ugh, revulsion that led to everybody feeling disgust. disgust that you weren't welcome because mm. you were kind of an aberration in you know, the eyes of society, which was, to me, a real head churner. Um, because that is simultaneously happening while you're experiencing, um, you know, there's also a fetishistic aspect with regard to men's desire. So when you are presenting as a female, men can openly ogle your boobs on the tube and... Um, 
and then and objectify you. And when you're identifying as a trans woman, there's um, that they have to disguise their sexual interest, and their sexual interest is you know subversive and hidden and mixed up with their own anger and all those kind of things. It's dangerous. Uh, yes, actually, a therapist once told me that that eroticized rage is one of the yeah. most dangerous ones, and and probably disproportionately more trans women from a um, yes. not from women but from the society of you know the small pot especially in america do tend to end up um you know as my friend kimberly says six foot under because of that you know there's there's a um this kind of i really like you but god it's wrong to like you but you know and then of course all the other la layers that go with that of you know stages of transition which lead to people working in the sex industry and things so i mean already you're kind of almost a sexual characteristic which i think isn't dissimilar to gay uh, men or women you know sort of you introduce yourself as a lesbian and everyone's like oh you know what do you do in bed whereas you know you introduce yourself as heterosexual no one really thinks about well i certainly don't i don't think about it anyway <laughs> but um i mean that, that's the Buckers sort of does I, never ending yeah. <laughs> you're painting me out to be some kind of like sexual deviant <laughs> just a, an english muffin little crumpets what the, um, <laughs> you're living the life that um i can't because i'm a, a stay-at-home mom you've got cat suits at the ready as soon as boris gives the gives the blows the whistle you'll be yeah, out the door like a out flash there, licking everybody in the street that's my plan <laughs> yeah you do seem naturally glamorous though because i think you've Aww. got on the side of being thank you i was telling um i was telling fleur before we started that this is the most um I've been dressed all week. Yeah. So don't don't let this this uh, facade fool you. You've been changing your yeah. top or your bottoms, but on rotation by the day. Yeah, I've only been putting new clothes on one half of my body. So this is the most I've dressed up. <laughs> Mine are all covered in bleach because I became obsessed with cover, you know, like sort of like my granny used to just wipe everything down. I wipe everything down with a mild bleach solution. So all of my leggings and things have got big purple patches on them. So I'm not buying well, any That's trendy yeah. now. That's trendy. You can like reverse tie dye with bleach now. I've oh, been doing too much Pinterest. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, your working life. So there was that episode early on when you were outed by a, um, I don't even know what word. Yeah, let's not let's not have a word for them. For um, for by someone making mischief for you at work. But then you moved out and you you sort of remained in the closet, if you like. Is that expression? Would it? Do they use that expression for like you? You remained. You retained your anonymity around your um, past gender in the yeah. workplace. That yeah. comes with quite a lot of organizational admin um, jobs doesn't it what's that like is it a whole job in itself yeah and and i think um had i not had my fingers so badly burnt so i was working mm. quite a high profile company in north of london and uh somebody actually turned me in as a transsexual um and and i did a much worse stuff as well sort of sent photos of me from you know sort of revealed my life to this company and I, I was quite new in the job um and it was an american company with a very kind of traditional Moral. boss and they used 
they used other things, you know, around CVs, not checking out, whatever it was. But it was moral outrage. It was, it, you know, the, the way that the HR woman fired me, you know, was it was almost with she couldn't look me in the eye. It was awful. And 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 I think that, yeah, I've often thought, should I go after them and sort of, you know, because essentially what they did was horrific. But the point was, was that I was then told, and this was quite early on, you are not safe, you know, walking into a room and being you and just saying that stuff will immediately lower your interest in men because I had always presented as an attractive person. You know, that's just who I was. I hadn't, I have always had that about me. I've known that since I was very young. So that would go and it would be replaced with what you just described, Flo, which is the eroticized rage. Um, and then women would either sit in the camp of, wow, what a journey or, oh, and you, and actually, interestingly, you hear perfectly reasonable women that you think would be quite compassionate. I mean, there is a whole organization called TERFs who believe that trans women are just sort of, you know, a, a freak show. So you have to kind of be aware that that's the new ground you're playing in. It's not the same as before. Um, so, uh, yes, I think that meant that it, it felt that in order to be able to put bread and butter on the table, I would need to live in what's called stealth. It's, it's actually called stealth. stealth. Yeah, so it's like when you're under the radar, you're sort of like me, you know, you're presenting, um, you know, there's, there's a limited amount of stuff that would give you away against any other genetic cis woman. Um, so you're kind of in that lucky position of passing, but then the unlucky position of passing because essentially that leads to lying. I mean, I never thought of it as lying as more self-protection and my position was if we lived in a world where people would just be who they are, it wouldn't matter. Um, but yes, so the work stuff became a job of, I remember being on a business trip to Stockholm and a girl from my team phoned and said, oh, have you got any tampons? And I was just thinking, I've never been asked that question before. You know, I have no way of knowing how to articulate that. Um, and it immediately sort of dawned on me to say, no, no, I'll go and get you some. But in my back of my head, I was thinking, well, you have to talk that one up. Maybe carry them. I don't know. Maybe maybe have them in your bathroom. I mean, you know, sort of. And then schooling, you know, because I went to a boys' school. So then how do you flip that one? So you you are either reduced to lying about something in your past on your CV or which is, yourself. Which is just another tool for the, like, the Odis HR woman if she wants to get rid of you. She can do those kind of things. You can just use those kind of details. The other thing, the other thing, having known you before, is um, friends. You'd have to then go through, like, a roll call of who you're going to keep, isn't it? because of there's so much scope for interpollination of friendship groups and you know if you say meet up after work or is there anyone and then you ha you have to yeah. everyone has to be on message but there's a sort of a, there's been many dinner parties drinks parties where i thought oh god oh god we're a gnat's whisker away from everybody you know knowing something that half of these people haven't been told yet or i don't intend to tell them um i had a friend she sort of outed me as well. I remember being on a, a, a party once and she, yeah, that's the other thing about being trans is, is if you are somebody who doesn't sort of, you know, he's not completely obvious. It's the same. I would use the sort of analogy of RuPaul's Drag Race, not because I think that's got anything to do with transsexual, but the reason people watch that show is really, oh, she looks great. You know, people love saying that. It's the same as 
you know, someone who's had plastic surgery. Oh my God, you know, she looks great. You, you can't notice. You can't notice. So, so that thing of, oh, and then, you know, you become in a fishbowl, literally. I mean, it's, it's not for me that, not in my current life. I don't want to be someone who's asked inappropriate questions about my physicality, my gender, my, but also I don't want to be not taken seriously as a business person and, and walking into a room with everyone trying to check out what bits have changed. Um, I want to be just a person. So societally, we are divvied up like that now. It's that I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. So I think, yeah, from a point of view of um, having to sort of make stuff up and, 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 and you know, being around groups of people it is very difficult and you do have to, I had to administrate that quite carefully. And it leads to people feeling quite bereaved. I hadn't really thought about that until, I mean, probably till I spoke to you, Flo, you know, it was a sense of somebody loses a person because actually the transition is quite, it's quite extreme. For me, it was really extreme. I had my face restructured, my body restructured, everything changed, my voice changed, everything changed. So in a way, people are dealing with what feels a bit like a death. And that can lead to sort of subliminal resentment, which I notice coming out in people in really random ways. You get sort of resentfulness about the fact that you've kind of not given them the option to maybe say goodbye, but also potentially um, have their moment about it. Um, but yes, I, there's also a benefit if you're surrounded by loads of people you're not really that keen on. You can just tell them that that person's moved to Australia. <laughs> so I think I did. <laughs> so, they've, they've moved to Walla Walla. Tragically, they have no internet and no, no, nothing there. So no. again, bye. Just, ra- just rattlesnakes. Tragically, it's not helpful with things like huge amounts of debt because that, <laughs> that just gets realigned. <laughs> <laughs> there are not many really useful things you can do through transition. It's not a way to escape the mob, that's for sure. Going going back a step, the um, yeah, let's just lay it down. What would what? It's really easy as an interviewer in the situation to present this story, you know, from behind the microphone. You know, we're all learning, and people were so cruel to you but in fact the conversation you're alluding to is when I talked about the fact that during your transition I wasn't a good ally I wasn't a good friend and it was only sort of it took a long time to to sort of understand that I didn't know that I wasn't at the time I I just know that what I that I really needed you when we when we met I was in quite a vulnerable spot in my life. Mm. And it's funny you talking about, you know, your assertiveness in, in at work and, and and the power change, because I always experienced you as a very powerful, capable person. And I really loved your voice. And you were the person that a couple of times you 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 mentioned sort of having, you know, feeling like you didn't want to live at certain points when you're I had, you know, I I went to that place with um, addiction and you were the person I remember calling a couple of times in the night and just because I didn't think I was going to, you know, I thought I was going to harm myself. Mm. And um, it was such, it was was an important person. And then when 
I saw you. I wanted, I, I made an assumption about myself that I'd be a good ally because I'd been quite entrenched in the gay scene and clubbing and, and gay rights and, you know, was neighbors to Peter Tatchell and all this kind of stuff. I kind of, I thought, oh no, not me, not me. You know, I'm, I'm down with all that. I'm down, you know, I'm, that's kind of my area. So you see like um, Black Lives Matter, that's kind of not my area. That's fresh news to me. But um, gender and um, sexual identity and, and human rights in that area, I really felt like that was my place. So I just didn't see it coming. And then when we met, you were so different mm. that I couldn't see you. I couldn't, I couldn't see my friend in there. I couldn't, I, I felt like I, I couldn't connect. And I felt, I felt like, you'd taken them away from me mm. and yeah. I, and I wasn't able to say it. it was so loaded. It was so, it was such an uncomfortable thing to experience because of course you were at a time when you needed me then and you'd been there for me and I wasn't able to return that. And even, even though you, you know, you're a strong person, that was a vulnerable time of your life. And I and I I was self-seeking in that moment. I just experienced it in terms of myself about what I'd lost. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think you're being hard on yourself. I, I mean, I firstly, I don't think there was any expectation, and I didn't feel that apart from you kept calling me a make piece from Dempsey and make piece. Do you remember? Did that? I? Yeah, which I thought was quite cool because she was really. Well, she was incredibly attractive. I mean, that was my pinup when I there. She was when I was sort of the Jackie Potato years when I was sort of growing up. <laughs> she, she was here. Years. I'd have on my bedroom wall. <laughs> that was all I ate for like a decade. I'm still in the Jackie Potato years. <laughs> I'm in the, my prime of my Jackie Potato years. Yeah. You also so, wore like stilettos to go and arrest people on boats, didn't she? So she was like <laughs> <a whole laughs> at the same time. She was definitely someone who commanded the room. She did. And I think, yeah, so, I, but I think if anything, and Make thank you for saying what you said, because I don't think you did not support me, but I, it, if anything, that if I was to write a kind of a manual for helping, it would be around being aware of the, the impact. Because as I was having my facial reconstruction, I took a friend with me to where we went to get it done, and she was in tears. And because she didn't know who I was afterwards, I mean, to be fair, I looked like a bit battered football, but she, afterwards, she, she just, like you know how much of our recognition is based on you know the, the the small things and when someone's facial structure or hair or whatever is just completely different i think it's a shock but if anything it's taught me about tolerance and i that i think is one of the things i carry forward by hearing what you said and what other people have said two things really one is how incredible my family were because they didn't give me any feedback wow. supported me wow and it's only now that I look back and think my god that must have been unbearably difficult for all of them um but also you know like I am so much more tolerant around people not getting this um I'm not particularly tolerant around nastiness I think that's just uncalled for but you know there are a lot of people that don't understand the trans thing there are a lot of um, you know, mums at the moment who are probably being presented by schools with the idea that their child might want to transition. And that's quite a big thing to talk about. Um, and why would you understand it? Why would you get it? And the answer isn't to, well, in my estimation, the answer isn't to do what 
is normally expected, which is, you know, you are a beautiful woman. That's I think that's one of the real problems is she's stunning, you know, beautiful. This concept that women have to be beautiful, mm. the Love Island world, I call it, is nonsense anyway, because it's just, you know, it's se- sexualizing somebody. Um, so what I see a lot of is beautiful, glamorous, stunning transsexuals. Well, that's not what being a professional working person is and I think the more role models hopefully like me who can go into business make good change who happen to be transsexual um, the more people will say ah you know that's just another human being Um, so I think for me one of the things that that whole process of understanding people's surprise and grief even those who people like you who love me you know, it's not easy for people to accept change like that. And gender, I think you said this to me many years ago, gender is... Was it good? (laughs) I'm sorry, I pretended I said it, but um, gender is inbuilt to us when 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 we're born. You know, we're told boys and girls. So why would somebody suddenly get it? And I certainly don't have that expectation that people are gonna open their arms and say, yes, of course I get it, you know. Uh, it's just unrealistic. So I'm much more tolerant around educational change through excellence as opposed to through ta-da, which essentially doesn't last very long. It's interesting. The um, I was doing some reading, listening to some podcasts ahead of having this conversation. I really, it's in, it's important. I, you know, I wanted to sort of get it right. I was apprehensive. Mm. And one of the things that is really interesting is... Um, the linguistic evolution, the vocabulary around this stuff. So, for example, the word transsexual is being phased out for transgender. Right, yeah. And um, there's a lot of nuance in language around this stuff. And I feel like if... Do do people expect you to be be an expert on that stuff? Yeah. Like the the political aspect, aspect, just by identifying yourself as a transgender woman, do they expect you to be an expert on transgender history and rights and ask you lots of questions? They do. And and also they ask me things which I'm not even up to speed with. So Yeah, know. I mean, um, you don't. why should you be? Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's I mean, like... Only since I've done charitable work for Pride and Advertising that I've actually been exposed to other communities I didn't know existed. You know, so, so no, I'm, not, I'm certainly not. Yeah. I never have been someone who really kind of understands everything. There's, um, at the, you know, when we're talking about um, those kind of tropes of like the angry woman or the, um, there's, there's also projected um, characteristics that aren't sexual about trans women, aren't they? That you're more liberal or you're that, you know, that there's, mm. there's, yeah, more political, more liberal. There's, there's some stereotype ideas around that. Yes, I mean, there's certainly um, so the dating scene is a is a is a horrible smorgasbord of of again the same issues we've talked about, which is if I tell everyone, I'll get a massive community of fetishists, whatever the word is, yeah, um, who are kind of looking for something which is not nothing I can give them anyway. Um, if I don't, then I've got to contend with going on three dates, four dates, five dates, not knowing when to kind of drop the drop the bomb and whether they'll get up and walk away or whether they'll then start fetishizing me. So I have a cat and some geese and some ducks. And I, I and you've got a couple of swans. I have swans and I don't bother with that nasty business anymore anyway. 
Just put that, put, if you had a pro- profile, you could just put that on. It has swans. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so, so in, in some ways, I, I, yeah, I just think, oh no. But yes, there is a, yeah, there's a, there's a real point where you kind of don't know what to say and when to say it. And it causes all sorts of internal problems that I think essentially can lead to inertia. Um, sorry, what was the original question? Because I just doesn't, taken... it doesn't matter. I've, I'm thinking something in which more interesting that you're talking about. In terms of um, having had a negative experience of being outed and then constructing um, more privacy in your working life, this podcast, which will be in the public domain, threatens that privacy. Yeah, but it's I guess there's an anonymous. You've been, you've been really open though. In, in your story yeah. what I'm asking is why I, I believe it's worth doing I believe if you're willing it's worth having this conversation because of the thing you said a moment ago about um, you know like visibility yeah well I mean I suppose two things one is, is there is an anonymity around my name around not being seen so this is a voice on a thing it could be anybody yes it's of audio um the other the other thing is is um the audience is female so even if there are women out there who don't like the idea of trans um the chances of them you know taking a hatchet and trying to find me is pretty limited because women tend not to do those things and tend not to you know to look at the world in that unpleasant way and i think the um the third thing is, is is that these things need to be said by somebody and i see very very little role model that's what we're getting to that's what we're getting to so when i was thinking about that i was thinking about what trans women what did i know about trans women growing up um tales of the city mrs madrigal in tales of the city yes um i read those when i was 17 um that was kind of it yeah you know i didn't i didn't know much more than that there's tula wasn't there do you remember tula no who's that so she was a very, very famous, beautiful page three, again, stunning, gorgeous, beautiful, page mm. sexualized model in the 1970s who did James Bond film with Roger Moore and then was in lots of Cinzano and Champagne ads and things in the 80s. And then they, the press outed her uh, mm. and she lost her career and everything, you know. So, um, so I suppose she was the only other one I knew of. And then, of course, there's the fantastic news that Joe Biden's just appointed her. Uh, I think she's called Rachel Levine. I can't remember her, her name now, but she's, um, or is that a pop star, Rachel Levine? That's Avril Levine. That's Avril. <laughs> That's her cousin. That's her cousin. <laughs> <laughs> so she, he's, because he's a fantastic democratic person he's 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 not seen gender as an issue he's seen past that to ability which is you know right on being with what i think uh so he's appointed a, a trans woman to his his uh whatever they call it parliament staff carry on yeah they're american carry on at the white house <laughs> and you know, so, so there's one who stands for merit not image but other than that it's pretty thin on the ground for Still on the ground, which is why it's worth having this conversation. Because when we had that sort of big reveal when we were on the phone, and I was just saying, "Oh man, looking back, I'm not comfortable with how mm. I was as a friend." And we sort of resolved that. And 
I, I thought about how I didn't have the words at the time. So if we went back in time now and I said, Fleur, are you being a good, I would have rash, I would have just, I put it in a box. I just squared it off and I just was busy. You know, I just got busy with doing other things. But w if there had been podcasts like this, if it had been more normal to talk about it and I'd listened to them, I, yeah. I think I would have got, we, we would have got that time back. I would have, Maybe. I would have. Um, it's more around, um, uh, would it though? I think for me, what, what you're saying is really relevant in that if I don't do this, um, you know, I'm hoping that by talking mainly to an audience of women, that's going to make a difference because there will be other women who are having, you know, connection with, with trans stuff. Yes. Or have children and are confused, uh, you know, and but also... I think for me, it was also just about trying to maybe as one individual, not representing humanity, take the lid off of the thing that my mum always says to me. My mum's really great with this because she worked uh, in the 60s for the government and she worked in a bank and she was objectified and sexualized like, you know, like any woman of that generation, just as a matter of course. And she then regained her career after she'd had four children and went back to work in her 50s and did very, very well. But she, you know, and even then, this is in the last 20 years, so she, she still experienced the same kind of, you know, objectification, all that crap. But she has always said to me, you know, I often wondered, was I being, was I wrong when that happened? Did, did, and you know, was did that man patronise me and explain that thing? Or am I being oversensitive? And did I not get that job because I'm a woman? And and I guess what I'm here to do is say, yes, yes. It, it's actually what you're feeling, your intuition is probably spot on. Because if I've experienced it having been on the other side, and I can tell you that, you know, I did my little bit of naughty research of, and I used to send my CV off with my name on it and then my old name on it, and I'd have you know, hordes of responses to my former name, despite having exactly the same experience, but I was a woman. So, and that's not that long ago in the great scheme of things. So I think for me, it's not just about being trans, it's about having had a transitional experience. Yes, yes. I help to contextualize some of the things that, my friend, a, a really good friend of mine, Miss, Miss Kimberly, who's, um, She's a um, black and she's a performer. She's she's wonderful. But she said to me the other day, you know, this thing about racism in terms of actual direct stuff and then the intuitive stuff that you just know you're being followed around, uh, you know, a shot because she's a person of colour. Yeah. It's like that thing of... Um... I always say to people, if 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 a woman says to me, oh, I'm not sure, and I just say, listen, if you've got a hunch that someone's messing with you, chances are they're messing with you. That's kind of all yeah. you need to know. That's all you need to know. You don't have to, like, give me evidence. You don't have to say, oh, you know, well, they left the key under there so they would have known. I don't care about that. If, like, if you if I have a hunch that you're messing with me, the chances are you are. I, I often walk out of meetings and think, was I, was I out of order then? Did I say something wrong? And I say to people, was that, you know, they all normally say no. But then sometimes I walk out of meetings and stuff and I think, and I say, did that guy just take my idea and explain it back to me? And I did it, this exactly happened about a week ago. And I said, am I being resensitive or did that guy just take exactly what I said, repackage it, say it, and then everyone was on board with it? And she said, yes, that did happen. It wasn't with a kind of sense of, God, yeah, it was a sort of, oh, yeah, 
<laughs> that's just <laughs> another day at the office. Another precisely, and I think that's the other thing. It's it's if I can be helpful in my transition, it's not just about trans people. It's about women reporting and reporting from the other side. Absolutely, and I wish more trans women would. You know, it's taken me a long time for you know many many years of actually being okay with not being seen as a man in a woman's look but knowing who I am so it really it doesn't matter whether you know somebody says oh you used to well right you know I was slightly uncomfortable actually at the start when you said as a man because I, oh, I, I hate that but then, yeah it was it was awkward saying that because I and it's, and, it's a yes. truth it's the fact yeah. is we met I wasn't this individual this super glamorous 46 year old you see under you I was slightly different very different the um what's what was lovely about reconnecting and putting that sort of stuff in context and time having softened everything was mm. not that I it wasn't about sort of see getting used to you as a woman it was just feeling like I saw you again yeah. it's like there's this other thing of like I don't see you now as different from before you transitioned, it was just the middle bit where I couldn't see, I couldn't connect with you. Yes. And now I don't notice any of those things. I just feel like I'm talking to you again and I can see you again. Yes. And it does, it's really hard to describe, but when we, maybe, you know, people get fanciful about like it's your soul or the part of you that's you that is separate to the, the physical body that you're living in it's really hard but I really felt literally just and in your voice and everything I just felt like it was you again and I felt like I I hadn't seen you for a long time and then I saw you it's really lovely it's really lovely it is lovely and thank you I, th I think it I think it's a, an unavoidable journey which is why when you talk about you know could we do it differently probably not you yeah know, because you have to go through the messy bit to get through and you sort of settled in to your identity yeah, and also, you know, when you ask me about the, the risk, I mean, to some degree, um, there is no manual written for people. I mean, I'm, we're talking about me as a, you know, a trans woman, but there are also many other identity changes, ways of changing, yes. you know, that, women that have children and then go back to work and a kind of, you know, I think in a way, women especially are, are expected to act a part. It's, it's funny because when I see, and I rarely see or know, many female to male transsexuals but one of the things i note about them is this sense of freedom this casualness that comes of maybe it's just not having to worry about going out after dark or you know but it, but whereas i went into that they yes are, you you yes. took you took power away and you know you went down in the social power structure you went down a notch when you became a woman and then if you arguably another notch by becoming identifying outwardly as a trans woman and yeah. if i became a man i'd go up a notch my earning potential would be up you, you i mean this is it when it comes down to it uh, if you take away what you know whether someone fancies you on the tube or that irrelevance mm. it's about you know can i put and the the real truth is i have struggled to get back to the level that i should be mm. at my earning capacity and my age um not all because of my transition some of it's just life stuff but yeah, so I think there's um, there's a sense of all women, you know, who are presenting in, in their lives at work may hit a point where they have to act 
And my act went on longer. You know, it was about not being funny. What you're picking up on is uh, a tenseness. And my voice was very high and up here. It was a tension of keeping things going together. Jane Fonda talks about it in one of her books of... Like fight or flight. Yeah, living, living kind of almost below the waist and nothing really kind of coming up here. But either way, whether you're in your head or in your body, you're sort of not connected. So I could be... Uh, you know, a sexual thing. I could go out and pull and look attractive and be... Um, Showstopper. Showstopping, but also be accepted, you know, like women being asked to be by men. Yes. Um, and then I realised that just left me outside of the group I'd actually wanted to be part of all the time, which is a real group of women, having friendships with women, being able to talk about normal stuff. Um, but also this experience isn't just... Uh, about trans people this is about any woman that feels she has to go in and not be funny you know when I did comedy it took me years to want to do comedy because um you know traditionally women are not funny you know funny women don't get the blokes that was always the sort of you know and and you know they're not funny they're not able to be (laughs) me and Barkers are just nodding vigorously both thinking to ourselves yes I'm extremely funny (laughs) (laughs) That's why George Clooney went for a mile and not for me, because I'm just too funny. Definitely. It's one of the restrictions. Yeah. Um, so there's this thing about coming into, and I think, I, I honestly think, as you said, without having had a run-up um, and also not having had the teenage that I would have wanted, you know, to have been able to have been, you know, wearing appropriately short skirts and be sick in a, you know, in a... Yeah, in get a it out of your system. Yeah, then of course it's going to happen. Of course it's going to happen. Also, the other thing is that I changed a lot during that period because I, when I first met you, I was just a recovering alcoholic and I didn't know who I was at all. So I had my own kind of ground zero. Do you remember I had some bed addiction? <laughs> so I was the colour of a fish finger the whole time. Did you I flare? did. I had a platinum card at the tanning shop that I, in the end, my sponsor made me sign it over to my friend because you pay for like a year in advance for 10 million minutes. And um, I'd scoot around different tanning shops so that you're only allowed to go on once a day of a maximum minutes. But the computer systems weren't linked, I found out. So I'd go to like Tower Bridge, Tooley Street. <laughs> And um, go to different ones. And I, I just looked like a fish finger. My, I got sort of like body dysmorphia to the colour I was going. I just, it was, so, I mean, I didn't know who I was in my own way either. And I kept buying high heeled shoes thinking that that would make me more grown up. And yeah, that's, that's, it's been, a, I, ch- I settled into myself as well. So maybe it's the growing up stuff as well. Well, we didn't talk about that because actually, you know, what you said to me back at you, because, you know, you are, from the person I knew many, you know, 20 odd years ago, you're different. You sound different. You look different. You know, you've had, you have a child, your values have completely shifted. And, you know, that is a lot to do with growing up as well. And also yeah. as, as I think we've both come to feel comfortable in our skin as who we are, yeah. um, which is unfortunately, as my granny used to say, you can't put a young head on old shoulders, but it would be the, the remedy to that, wouldn't it? Because you'd look back and think, oh, I didn't really need to give myself such a beating about. Yeah, I was so strict on myself. I used Mm. to do this thing where I'd have to walk seven miles before I could have breakfast. And then it would be like a Muller yogurt or something. I was really eating disorder when I first knew you. 
Yes, and um, yeah, it's just insane. All yeah. the, I had all these rules and regulations about you know what. I do not like that anymore. Thank God, what a relief for everyone. Yeah, but also for you and for the for, for your kind of your your life daily life experience, isn't it? Just being yourself. Yeah. Being yeah. It's just been an, amazing to hear your story. Thank you. It's really, you. really, really been lovely. Buckus is going to write up loads of notes because there's probably a lot in this which will lead people thinking about things and off in other directions. So we'll, we'll write all that s- stuff up. And, cool. um, yeah, I'm a bit lost for words. It was just lovely. It's lovely to hear your story. And it's just testament to your strength. And also I think a big thing that has come through this conversation for me mm. is your mum, you know, about parenting, mm. about mm. how you were parented, you know, those descriptions of kind of, going through transition and sort of meeting yourself, giving birth to yourself and what, you know, that mum, your mum giving you that strength of will to like, to be strategic and to invest in yourself, to make, to make a plan for yourself, to back yourself, even after you'd had a long time, you know, yeah. being quite lost. It's, it's, I'd like to meet her. <laughs> well, I, and also I should say, you know, that, underneath that was my dad my you know my my stepfather with my dad and he was you know he's a big tough northern sales you know golf playing football playing you know very much of the kind of guy that you would think would have a huge problem and he washed my hair when I was in hospital you know he brought my mum into the room because she couldn't deal with seeing so you know there's a whole other podcast to be done on him and his how incredibly you know I dearly love my parents I mean they've been incredible in my in my transition and I don't think I'd actually accepted and realized that until very recently so I am very lucky and there are others who aren't so that's right thank you it's been absolute joy thank you so much for being our guest thank you lovely that's the end of this week's episode of the real work podcast If you want more from me before the next episode or you'd like to learn more about real work, you can find me on Instagram and YouTube where I share experience and advice for women who want to work and earn on their own terms. My Instagram handle is at dorealwork and on YouTube it's realwork, all capitals, all one word. Please rate and review this podcast if you know how (laughs) and tell people about it. It all helps. Thank you for being here. See you next time. Cool, that was a good one. I really feel like um, I feel like I'm really finding my stride with this podcast. I've had such good feedback; it's been amazing, and people have been leaving such terrific reviews on iTunes. Did I tell you it got to number fourteen in the chart? It, yeah, Maybe Entrepreneurs yeah, Club, number fourteen. So I can't believe good. it. Like one week in. Thank you so much. I mean, I really, it's it's so much to do with you know your support that we did there. How, you're doing one, aren't you? A comedy one. How how's that going? Your com your comedy one. Who are you doing it with? Oh yeah. Um... I'm doing comedy podcasts with an old friend of mine from back in the radio days. And we actually, we, our launch day coincided with the Real Work podcast launch day. So we launched at the same time. Oh, that's good. Yeah. How's it going? Do people like it? Yeah, we're getting really good, really good feedback. And we actually got to, um, we got to number one in the stand-up comedy podcast charts in UK.
which oh. we weren't really weren't expecting. But you know, we we are number one, super super pleased with in it. the first yeah. week. Yeah. But number fourteen, still amazing, Fleur. Re- like really amazing. It is. It is. We we we're, we're very. I'm very pleased for you. Thank you. Um. Do you think it would be okay for me to play my uh, my advert now? Of course. Yeah, just pop it on. If you want to make a podcast that your audience will adore, but the thought of making it yourself terrifies you to the core, then you know who to call. Producer Buckers. She knows just what to do, producer Buckers, to make your podcast dreams come true. She used to work in radio, where she was morning radio, a dab hand at audio. Find producer Buckers on Instagram at decibel underscore creative, or click the link in the show notes. Come on, everyone, producer Buckers, if you want to hire the best, producer Buckers, just put it to the test, producer Buckers, just press record. And she does the rest. Producer Parker.